Hey, one of the traditional things that people have done on Easter and that Christians do all around the world is that somebody says he is risen and then people respond by saying he is risen indeed. So we're going to do that in just a moment. Get ready. If, you, uh, if you've never done something weird like that before, that's what we're going to do. So here it comes. Ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hey, there you go. I love the sound of that. One more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. And that's, and that's why we're here. That's why we gather together today. Easter is celebrated by billions of people across the world. Easter is celebrated today. That's why we've got a big giant party that we have planned for today. Easter is celebrated all over the world. And, and pe- maybe even yourself, people are here that aren't normally here. People are gathering in churches all throughout our city and all over the world that maybe normally aren't even there because there's something about Easter There's something about Easter that draws us in. There's something about Easter that we see as needed. There's something about Easter that we feel is important and worthy of celebration. And that's why we gather. And there's a lot of things that Easter says. There's a lot of reasons that it's worth celebrating. There's a a lot of key pieces. But one that is very important is that Easter says that we can have transformation. Easter says that we can experience transformation. And I don't know what you think of when you, when you think of transformation. I don't, I don't know what kind of comes to your mind. I, I think about shows that I used to watch when, when I was growing up. There was all sorts of shows about transformation. One of those classics was Exhibit. He had Pimp My Ride. If you ever saw that show, as a 16-year-old with a Mercury Cougar, I was just begging, Exhibit, please. Pick me, Exhibit. Pick me. And there would be these transformations that would happen where you would take a car and then transform it into something amazing. Or maybe some of you are into kind of the extreme home makeover shows. Maybe this is just depressing to you. But you look at these and, and you watch those shows where they remodel and they, they do all this stuff. And you're like, oh man, there's a transformation that takes place. Or maybe you, some of the organization transformation where you've got kind of this messy closet and it gets transformed into this And then a week later, it's probably back to this. But you look at those things and it's like, oh, yes, Marie Kondo, come make my life enjoyable. Come organize my life. Or sometimes it's kind of the transformation of beauty makeover things. I used to watch a lot of those shows where someone would come in and and then they would transform them, clothes, hair, makeup. And you go, well, you're a different person. Or sometimes it's kind of the fitness transformation that you see. You see, this is a picture of me, but you see, um, you know, these transformations. And this is only seven minutes. That means by the time you're done checking your kids in or triple that time, then you will be able to look like this. Or sometimes it's kind of those, maybe you even have friends that was kind of those full body transformation pics where someone goes kind of from this and then they do some sort of fitness program and you go, wow, that's a transformation that happens. And to me, the best transformation of this isn't even necessarily his physique, but his face, because this is kind of creepy. And he goes from that to this. I mean, it, it, look, just look, that's kind of creepy. If you just look in, even at the eyes, that's actually what the whole sermon is. I'm just going to keep zooming in on this. If you're here today, I, I will give you some royalties. But all of this, all of this transformation says this, more is possible, right? More is possible with your car, more is possible with your house, more is possible with your body. Transformation says more is available. That what if what you have right now, what if where you are in life right now, what if that's not it? What if more can happen? Easter says, Easter says that there is a transformation possible. 
I, I don't know where it is that you want transformation in your life right now. I don't know where it is that you feel you need transformation. There can be all sorts of areas, but Easter says that transformation is possible in the deepest areas of hurt that you have. That in your marriage, that in your parenting, that in your family, that in your friendships, that in sin and struggles that you have, that in pain that you have, that in your emotions, that in your faith, that transformation is possible. That is what Easter says. But it's easy to miss it. Jesus had disciples that walked with him, that followed him, that were around him for a long time, and they missed it. And then on Easter Sunday, Jesus comes to them and they begin to experience a transformation that they didn't have before. And they went, Jesus' followers, Jesus' early disciples, they went, they experienced a transformation that took them from discouraged to determined, that took them from doubt to depth, that took them from fear to faith. They experienced transformation on Easter. Why? What happened? What is it that took place in their life? What is it that we need? Because we need the same thing. What is it that happened in their life that brought them transformation? What does it take? How does Jesus bring transformation to our lives? That's the question that we are going to explore today. Jesus raises from the dead. And then he goes and he speaks with some of his disciples that are traveling along the road. And this little snapshot, it's a short little story, but it gives us a model for how we can experience transformation in our lives. And there's three things that we can begin to see. And we'll start with this. The, the three things that Jesus does to bring transformation into our lives. First is that he draws near to us. So let's look at what Jesus did. Here's the beginning of the story. Luke 24 says, Now that same day, the day of his resurrection, two of them, two of his disciples, were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where Jesus was crucified. Jerusalem is where Jesus did much of his ministry, and now they are moving away from that place. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? He asked them. Here is the first key to experiencing transformation. Imagine being in their shoes. Imagine try to transport yourself back a couple thousand years ago and you've, you've heard some of Jesus' teaching. You've seen some of what he's done. You've seen him feed the 5,000. You've seen him do miracles and heal people and you are drawn to him. You are interested in him. And then you begin to commit to him. You follow him. And you have great hopes of what he might do. Great hopes of what he might accomplish. And then he dies. You see him crucified. You walk away from him. All of his disciples abandoned him. All of his disciples left him out of fear. You experience in your own heart, your own failure that you have let down this person. You think your hopes are dashed, that it's over, that what you thought was bringing salvation to the world, you now experience as hope lost. And you are, it said of them, discouraged. And they are moving away from Jerusalem. 
moving seven miles away. That's not seven miles in a car. That's seven miles walking away. They're done. It's over for them. Maybe you have felt this in your life. Maybe you have felt a commitment to God at some point in your life, some commitment to Jesus in your life. That might have been when you were a little kid. It might have been in high school. It might have been in college. It might be now that there's some commitment that you feel towards God in your life. And then something happens. Something happens in your life where you get discouraged. Something happens in your life where you experience your own sin and your own failure. Something happens like to them in your life where there is a gap in the expectations that you had of what God was going to do. The prayers that you asked him to do, the hopes that you had for him, the things that you wanted, the things that you felt were going to happen in life with God, there's a gap. It doesn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen. And then maybe for you, you felt this. You begin to move away. And that might be a physical moving away. Maybe you've even moved to a new place. It might be a moving away of relationships. It might be a moving away from church. It might be a moving away just in your heart where you begin to feel coldness towards God and a distance from God. There's a moving away. Maybe, maybe you have felt that. And listen, into that place, he comes. Into that place, Jesus draws near to them. And how does he come? He doesn't come on the road showing up and just start rebuking them, saying, you idiots, what are you doing? Go back to Jerusalem. How dumb are you? He doesn't show up like that. He doesn't even show up probably how I would show up with just kind of magic and powers and fireworks and just kind of, boom, I'm Jesus, and kind of scare them and them like, whoa, like, what are you doing? And he's just like, I'm alive, look, and there's Big Macs falling from the sky, and they're like, what is this? And it's a Big Mac. What's that? Your ancestors will know. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do magic. How does he show up? He shows up with questions. He shows up and says, what's the dispute that you're having? He shows up and says, tell me about the things that you're talking about. Tell me about the things on your heart. Tell me about the things that you're discouraged about. That's how Jesus shows up. He walks with them. He's gentle with them. He's patient with them. He listens to them. He asks them. Jesus already knows all the answers to his questions, but he asks them questions. He draws out their heart. Listen to me. The pain that you have, the areas where you feel like maybe you don't get it, or you feel like you've failed God, or you feel like God has failed you, or you feel heavy, or you feel things that have burdened you, those areas, here's what Jesus does. He says, share your heart with me. He says, share your heart with me. What are you carrying? What's going on in your life? What's going on that's discouraging? He, he invites you to bring those things to him. See, transformation begins Transformation begins as he draws near to us in the darkest moments of our life, in the suffering of our life, in the pain of our life, in the areas where we feel like we've let God down or God has let us down, in the areas where we feel like we are moving away is when he moves near us. He draws near. That's where transformation begins. But that's not it. It's not all. He draws near, and what is it that he does? He speaks to us. 
he begins to speak to us. See, Easter has transformative power. It's got power to transform our lives. But I said this at the beginning, it's easy to miss. That's the interesting thing. And listen, I want you to get this. Easter has transformative power, but it is easy to miss it. Listen, we miss things all the time, right? There's everyday normal life things that we just miss. There's basic everyday things that we forget. There's things that we just never notice. That's why I love kind of the the internet meme. Maybe you've seen it that talks about like, I, I was today years old when, because it says there's basic normal everyday things that we just miss. That I, I, I was today years old when I found out the first episode of a show is called Pilot because the first time they're on air. You didn't know that, right? Or maybe you did. You're smarter than me. Uh, I like this one. I was today years old when I found out that loofahs are fruits. You've been washing yourself with fruit, you weirdos. <clears throat> I was today years old when I learned this is how cashews grow. Kind of freaky looking. That's how they grow. I was today years old when I realized a buttload was an actual measurement. This is a buttload right here. Real stuff. I love this one. Uh, This one will blow your mind. How old were you when you found out the drawer on your stove is for keeping food warm and not pots and pans? Now your mind is blown, right? And then this is my favorite. I was today years old when I learned how long owl legs are. That's kind of creepy, right? It's almost kind of immodest, like this guy might show up. It's a little bit like, oh, we need to help our buddy out, help him. There you go. Okay, sorry, I had too much fun with PowerPoint. (laughs) We miss things all the time, right? We miss just the normal, everyday stuff. And, And while that's funny, we miss the most important things as well. If we can miss that an oven drawer we've been living with our whole life heats up food, if we can miss that, you know how easy to miss the things that are right in front of our face that are the most important things? I love that this happens because it's so helpful because they are like us where we miss things all the time. Listen, the disciples heard Jesus. They saw what Jesus did. They studied with Jesus. They learned from Jesus. They had a belief in who he was. They had a belief in what he could do, but they missed the fullness of who he was. They missed the full picture of the transformation that he could bring into their life. They missed what could happen. And I have to tell you this. This is on my heart. I have to tell you this. Some of you really need to hear this. It is easy to miss who God is and what he wants to do in your life. It's easy to have grown up going to church It's easy to wear a cross around your neck. It's easy to drive by churches and and be exposed to it in the culture all the time. It's easy to read your Bible. It's easy to pray. It's easy to have some sort of hope that when you die that you'll be able to go to heaven. It's easy to believe in God and to even say that you believe in Jesus. Those things are easy and yet to miss the fullness of what God wants to do and the fullness of who he is. Easter says this, what if you've heard all about it and missed it? Easter says, what if you have been around it so many times and not actually got it? What if you've tried it and moved on? This is true if you're a Christian. It's true if you're not a Christian. For those that are not Christians, maybe you've heard the message a bunch of times and you're excited to ride some ponies and have some eggs and just kind of suffer through this part. 
And, and maybe for those that are Christians, it's, yeah, I've heard this a bunch of times, but it actually hasn't resonated in your heart. This is where the disciples would have been. And so we search for other things and we long for other things to satisfy us. And here's what happens on Easter. What is it that they missed? What is it that they didn't get? What is it that they didn't understand? Here, here's the next part. Jesus asks them, what things? And so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb. And when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that he had seen, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, Jesus responds, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah, that's him, the Savior, to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Now, here's, here's what they missed, that we miss as well. Here's what they understood about Jesus. Here's what they report back to him. They say that Jesus taught great things, that he was a great teacher. Maybe there's things about Jesus that you have seen. Maybe there's things about what Jesus says that he taught that you enjoy. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Love your neighbor. There was a lot of talk, especially during the early times of the pandemic, to talk about loving your neighbor. There's a lot of Jesus' teachings that we get and that we understand and that we appreciate. And that's what we think. Jesus is a good teacher. They talk about the things that Jesus did. They said he did these acts of love. Maybe you look at Jesus and you see he's a, he's a powerful person. He does miracles. He's got... He's, he's able to heal the sick and change people's lives. And, and maybe it's just his love that he has for people, welcoming the least and the lost and the last. Maybe it's that that you look at and go, yeah, Jesus was a loving person. He was a great teacher. And maybe you even know that Jesus died. They said Jesus died. He was crucified. Our leaders crucified him unjustly. Maybe that's what you know about Jesus. And listen, if that's what we understand about Jesus, we miss it. If that's all we know about Jesus, we miss the transformation that he wants to bring into our life. If that's all we get, we miss the fullness of what he wants to do because there is much more. And here's what Jesus says. Here's what Jesus says to them as he is saying, listen, you've, you've been with me a long time and you missed it. So again, if you're a Christian or you've gone to church many, many times. Maybe you've missed it like them. They were so close. How arrogant would we be if we think, ah, I haven't missed it. And yet they were his followers closest to him. They're walking with him right now and they miss it. And he says this. Here's what you've missed. There's, there's two key things. First of all, he says, it was necessary. This is such an important word to say it was necessary that he would suffer. It was necessary that he would enter into his glory. This idea of it being necessary means this, that we have a need. That's what necessary means. We have a need, you and I. We are sinners by nature and choice that we reject God. We ignore God. Listen, we live our whole lives doing other things. How would you feel, parents, if your kids ignored you their whole life? How would you feel, spouses, if, if your husband or wife ignored you their whole life? 
We have the creator God, the father who has loved us and created us and saved us. And sin is that we reject him or ignore him. It's necessary that something be done about that. Because the Bible says that our sin deserves death, death on a cross. I know we don't like to talk about that. I know that's not PC. I know that's not friendly. I know that's not uplifting and encouraging. But the Bible says that we have a need and that the crucifixion was not just a tragic event. It wasn't just a sad thing that happened. It wasn't just a political travesty. It wasn't just an awful personal tragedy. It was necessary, he says. It was necessary because we are sinners who are distant and separated from God. And we need someone to deal with that for us. See, that is what Jesus says that they missed. It wasn't just they understood it as our leaders did this, not this was necessary for me. I talk to people all the time that will say something about, yes, I understand Jesus died on the cross, but that's different from saying Jesus died for me. I remember when the Aurora shooting happened. The Aurora shooting happened, and that Sunday I was in church. That Sunday I was in church right after, I think it happened on a Friday and that's, or a Saturday, and that Sunday I was in church, and the pastor was reading out the names of the people that had been killed. And everybody was sorrowful, everybody was silent out of respect. But then it got to one name, and the lady next to me began bawling her eyes out and weeping. And she said, oh my God, oh my God, and ran out. I don't know what happened, but obviously there must have been someone there that she knew that she didn't know had been killed. And that moment has always stuck out to me. Because we can hear about the things that are awful. We can hear about the crucifixion. We can understand it. We can know it existed. We can believe in it. But if it's not personal, if it doesn't cut to our hearts and we say, oh my God, that's me. That's for me. That impacts me. Jesus says we miss it. He says it was necessary. It was necessary. And then he goes on from there to say this. It, he, he explains to them, it says, all of the scriptures. He says it was necessary for him to suffer these things and enter into his glory. And then he opens up the Bible. And I would have loved to have been there and seen exactly what he did. But he opens up the Old Testament. And he walks them through how it's actually all about him. See, I don't know what your view of the Bible is. But it's not just a big book of rules. It's not just a big book of inspirational stories or stories to make your kids obey you. That's not what it is. The Bible is a book that tells the story of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And every page ultimately leads us to him. Every sin is ultimately resolved in Jesus. Every suffering is ultimately resolved in Jesus. Every searching and seeking we have is ultimately resolved in Jesus. So I don't know exactly what it is that Jesus said, but they, they were on a long journey. They were, it, it says later, we'll look, that they were together for several hours into the, into the night. And Jesus is explaining to them how everything has been about him. How it all finds its resolution in him. Let me, let me, let me just walk through some of these. I said every sin has its resolution in him. Here's what this means. The Bible talks a lot about our sin. It talks a lot about our guilt. That you and I have done things that we're not proud of. That if I were to put all of our thoughts, motives, deeds up on the screen, we would be very embarrassed. If I were to put it all up on the screen, the Bible says we have sinned against God. That we are guilty. 
that we experience shame. Some of us know there is something wrong with me. I have guilt. We know that this is true. And sin has a penalty and sin has a power in our lives. And the Bible takes all of that. And ultimately, it is resolved in Jesus who comes on the cross and dies in our place for our sin, forgiving us. Every sin that the Bible talks about ultimately finds its resolution in a Savior that would come and die on the cross to cleanse us of our sin and give us, give us his righteousness to justify us, to make us okay with God. You will never be okay with God based on the things that you do. You will never be okay with God. You will never feel okay just as a person unless you understand that there is a Savior who has totally forgiven you and totally loved you and brought you into a reconciled relationship with him. Every sin finds its resolution in him. And every suffering, every suffering. See, we, we go through life and you and I suffer. We've had tragedies. We could share our stories over coffee or, or some other beverage and begin to share our stories of suffering. We could talk about the hurts that we've had. We could talk about the, the desire that we have for a future that maybe everything will be okay. We could talk about the prayers that we have prayed to God and said, God, why don't you show up? Why don't you do something? What are the times that we have said, God, will you do something? Will you act? Why don't you? We have wept. We have cried. We felt loss and we felt betrayal and we felt temptation and we felt pain in a broken world. And every suffering ultimately finds its resolution in Jesus who is God not distant from this world, but God come into this world. He doesn't look at a suffering, broken world and stay distant. He enters into it. And he doesn't just enter into it as, as God. He takes on flesh. He becomes a human. Listen, you and I know that one of the greatest forms of love is empathy, right? Another person that understands you, that gets you, that feels with you. The gospel, the good news, the Bible says, that God came into this earth and took on our flesh. And he understands what it means to be a human. The Bible says that he suffered in every way as we suffer. That he's tempted in every way as we are tempted. That he experienced the full weight of a broken world. That he experienced all the suffering, all the grief, all the pain. Whatever you felt, he's gone through it in some way. He was betrayed. He was rejected. He was accused. He was slandered. He was misunderstood. He experienced poverty. He experienced all of the weight of a fallen, broken world. It says he understands you and I. He gets you and I. And it says that all suffering is resolved in him, both because he took on our flesh and gets us, but also because of the resurrection, which says that there's a hope for all of our suffering, that this world is not the end. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, this is the best your life will ever get. And if you know Jesus, this is the worst your life will ever get. Because the resurrection says there is a future that awaits us. That there is a hope that awaits us. Every suffering finds its resolution ultimately in him. And every seeking, every searching. The Bible talks about all the different longings that we have. We long to belong to others. It says that in him we have a family that we can belong to. A God that accepts us and loves us. It says we long for a world of justice. We long for things to be set right. And the Bible says that in Jesus, he brings and will bring his kingdom one day to fully establish justice. That every wrong will be righted. 
It says that we long for deep joy and satisfaction. And when Jesus comes, he says, this is the name of our church. He says, I came to give life and life to the full. That we long for joy. We long and we look for it in all sorts of areas. And he says, I came to bring it even more than you could ever know. See, there's all these longings and searchings we have. We long for peace. Jesus comes and he is the prince of peace. We have all of these searchings and ultimately they find their resolution in him. What did it mean that Jesus walked through the Old Testament and showed them all the things about himself? This is some of what it meant. It meant he showed, look how sin, look how sacrifice finds its resolution in me. Look how all the suffering finds its resolution in me. Look how all of your searching and longing finds its resolution in me. That was true for them and it's true for you. It's true for us today just as much as it was true for them. Every resolution is found in Jesus. You want transformation? It's easy to miss. But where it comes from is he draws near and where it comes from is he speaks to us. He speaks to us what Christians call the gospel, the good news, which is so much of what I just said. He speaks to us and says, you might have missed it, but there's so much more. There's so much more in a lifetime spent bringing his word into our life changes you. I can promise you, it changes your life. I stand up here, not as just someone that likes to, this is the only day I wear a jacket, not just someone that likes to wear a jacket and talk to people. I stand up here because I can testify to you that Jesus transforms lives. That's what he does and he wants to do it in your life, today and forever. And then finally, the third thing is that he opens our eyes. He draws near, he speaks to us, and he opens our eyes. This is the the final step of what we see. Here's what it says. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11, the 11 apostles, and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. He opens our eyes. This is the final step, and it's, it's crucial. Without this, we can hear everything that Jesus says, but not experience transformation. See, let me just be real with you. It can be hard to believe everything that we just read. It can be hard to believe that Jesus came to this earth and died and was resurrected. That can be a hard thing to grasp. And sometimes we think this. I know that some of us feel this way. Sometimes we, and I, maybe you wouldn't admit it, maybe you would, but sometimes we think this. We think, ah, that's just the old days. That people were really religious. They believed all sorts of weird things. I don't know if you remember, uh, for those kids that are in the room, or uh, for those of you that used to be kids at one point, you remember back in your studies, you would study the Greek gods. And we, we look at those things and go, yeah, see, people used to believe all sorts of things a God of the sea and a God of the mountains and a God of the dirt and a God of all sorts of random weird things that people believed. Actually, I, I found out this last week that there's a, a God named uh, Machishkapu. 
And this is a, a blurry picture. It's the Innu people. And they have a god called Matshishkapu. And it's actually the god of farts. It's the farting god. This is 100% true. This is not a lie. And it's the most powerful spirit in their religion. And he communicates through farting. He's actually 13 years old. That's in his favorite restaurant's Taco Bell. That's what I heard. That's, I made that part up. But this is real. And we can see something like that and go, yeah, people are crazy, right? They believe all sorts of weird things. So why is this any different? Why is Jesus and the resurrection and someone that was born of a virgin? And all, I mean, all that stuff, we can, it might sound as silly as that. And it can be hard to believe. It can be hard to believe. But here's the truth. And you have to study history if you want to really dive into this. I don't have time to go into all of it. But the truth is this. This was not just people that believed in anything. These were fundamentalist Jews. They believed in one God. They never would have thought that God would take on flesh. They never would have even imagined that. They weren't people that believed in a resurrection. They believed that maybe one day God would come and resurrect everybody at once. But they never had an understanding of one person experiencing life after life after death. That someone is resurrected and now lives forever. They didn't have an understanding of that. They would have never invented that. They never would have made that up. These were people that had a very solid core of beliefs that never would have just switched those overnight. They weren't just gullible people that were uh, susceptible to any kind of imaginative tale that was told to them. That's not who they were. It would be, trying, it would be similar to trying to uh, convince an extremist uh, Muslim that all of a sudden all of these other things were true. That's not how it worked. But yet, these people overnight did come to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. How did that change happen? How did that change take place? And it says, their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. Even though they had been with him, even though they had walked with him, even though they had heard from him, they still didn't get it until there was a supernatural work and their eyes were opened and they saw him and they recognized him. They saw the truth. What does it mean that their eyes were opened? It means at least two things. It means they saw the truth. They saw the truth. He is alive. See, you and I need reasons to believe. We need reasons to believe just the same way that they did. And I would encourage you, if you don't know what you believe or you're skeptical, there is all sorts of historical research that you can look into on the resurrection. But let me just tell you two quick things. One is this. The, the way that the Gospels are written is clearly eyewitness testimony. It's not written as an imaginative tale. Even the, what we just read, it said there's two men walking on the road and one of them's name was Cleopas. Why tell us that? Why just throw out someone's name? If it was just a fable, you don't read the tortoise and the hare and go, and by the way, the turtle's name was George. That, you don't do that. It's, it's just a fable. The point is the lesson. But why would you add someone's name in there? Well, what historians will tell you is that's, that's kind of a footnote to be able to say, you can go talk to Cleopas. He's still around. He still exists. They're written as eyewitness testimony. They're written eyewitness accounts. And the last thing I'll just tell you is this. Something happened. The apostles believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Hundreds of people after that believed that Jesus rose from the dead and said that they saw him. Listen, even people that are not Christians, historical researchers agree on this point. You can go Google it. Don't trust me if you don't want to. 
they agree on this. Doesn't matter if they're atheist, skeptical, they agree on this. They believed that they saw Jesus rise from the dead. They believed that. Now, whether it's true or not, they believed it. What's the best explanation for that? Is it mass hallucination? Could I convince you of something and you would mass hallucinate here today? I don't think so. Something took place. What's the best explanation for that reason? You see, he opened their eyes, which means first, they saw the truth. And then second, it means that something happened in their heart. When Jesus says this earlier, and he says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe, literally slow to believe is slow of heart. He says that they are slow of heart. And then he makes himself known to them. Here's what this means. Our problem is not just intellectual. Our problem is not only that we need reasons to believe. We do need reasons, but that's not the only problem. Our problem is that we have a heart that is slow to believe, and we need Jesus to open our eyes. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to bring transformation into our life by our eyes being open to see him, our hearts being open to see him. And here's how this happens. For them, it happened as a process. They're walking along with him. For some of you, that's how it's going to happen in your life. It is a process where you need to eat with Jesus. You need to spend time with him. You need to open up the Bible. You need to be here on Sundays and allow him to continue to explain who he is and what he's done. And in that process, your eyes will begin to open. And what that means is this. Jesus takes what you've heard. He takes what you know. He takes what you've seen. And he makes it real to your heart. He takes all of the various realities of salvation and resurrection. He takes the things that you know and he makes them real. In some ways, it is the difference between knowing that something tastes good and actually tasting it. You and I all know that a donut tastes good, but there's a difference between knowing that and actually tasting it. When Jesus opens our eyes, he takes what we know and he makes it real to our hearts. This is a process. This is something we do together. It's something just like them that happens best as we're eating together and learning together and traveling together. Listen, let me tell you, that's why this is so important. I was talking to somebody that hadn't gone to church in almost 20 years and said, I became a Christian a long, long time ago, but I forgot how important this is on a Sunday to hear God's word to be reminded of the gospel, to be reminded of what he's done, to be reminded of who he is, to be reminded of those things. I need it. We need it. It's what begins to open our eyes. And look what happened to them. They go back seven miles. They walk seven miles away, and then it says they return to Jerusalem another seven miles on foot, in sandals, not Nikes, walking a long way, dirty, smelly, coming back, and saying, look what happened, and they report, and they tell, and they're transformed. That's what Jesus wants to bring into your life. See, Easter says that transformation is possible. Where do you need transformation? Where do you want transformation? Easter says that in your faith, that in your relationships, that in your emotions, what if you could have more? What if you could experience transformation? Easter says that because of the resurrection of Jesus, it is possible that he draws near to us, that he speaks to us, and that he opens our eyes. Listen, as I, as I close, let me just tell you what this means for a few different groups of people. 
If you're not a Christian, you probably have all sorts of questions. You're probably unsure about all sorts of things, and that's great. We love being a church that helps you explore things and helps you answer questions. The first transformation that Jesus wants you to experience is faith, which is actually having your eyes open for the first time to see it was necessary for my sin that you would come, and it was necessary for your resurrection to bring me life. If that's who you are, if that's where you are, we want you to know him. We want you to enjoy him. We want you to be changed by him. That happens as you repent of your sin, which means you say to God, I am sorry. I have sinned against you. I have rejected you. I've ignored you. And then you put your faith in him. You say, I need your salvation in my life. That's what we desire for you. That's what he wants for you. He's, you, you thought you were here for an Easter egg hunt. He says, I want so much more for you. He's calling you even today. It's not an accident that you're here. And for those of you that are Christians, for those of you that are Christians, don't settle for where you are. Don't settle for where you are. He wants to keep bringing transformation into your life. He is still doing the work of drawing near whatever you're going through. He's still doing the work of speaking to us his gospel. He's still doing the work of opening our eyes. If, that's, if you're a Christian, God wants to keep doing that work in your life. Come to him. Ask him to continue to show you and speak to you. And then last group of people, maybe you're a Christian and you're new here today. Maybe this is your first Sunday joining us. You cannot have this alone. God didn't design for you to experience this alone. Even in this story, they're walking together. They're spending time together. They're eating a meal together. They're talking about Jesus together. And that's why the early Christians, as they heard this message, formed into churches. And I know we've got all sorts of great things to do in our city and all sorts of fun things, but I am promising you, Jesus doesn't want you to go through life alone. He wants you to experience life in a community of other Christians that can help you know him, help you listen to him, help you experience all that he wants to do in your life. And so I want to invite you again to be a part of this community or to be a part of some community. I don't know, maybe you drove an hour here to to ride a pony, then join another church. But we want you to experience life in community. That's why next week we start a new series talking about relationships and how our relationships, whether that's marriage or parenting or friendship, can be strengthened. That's what God desires for you. Resurrection says that transformation is possible. The resurrection says that wherever you are right now, it doesn't have to be the end. The resurrection says that Jesus paid for your sin and bought you new life with him forever. We're going to take communion. If you're a Christian, we take communion. If you got a little cup on the way in, if you didn't, you can run and grab one. Uh, if we ran out, then I'm sorry. You can just pray. You can use that time to pray. Uh, but communion is a time where we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us because it was necessary so that we could have transformation. And then you can respond by, by singing. We're going to sing after we take communion. We're also going to have a few baptisms where, where people ex respond to Jesus in their life saying they want to identify with him. And then we're going to respond with a party to just celebrate how good he is. Listen, Jesus is alive and he wants you to experience transformation. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you give Jesus to us. I thank you that 
Though we are sinful people, you have paid for all of our sin on the cross. And that you have suffered and brought us in to experience your glory. I pray that even now you would speak to each person in this room. That you would open our eyes. That you would open our hearts. That you would let your good news enter in. And that we would know that you are the Savior. Lord, bring transformation. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.